Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sam Legasic. And I'm Dreadful Dan Gallagher. And we're two old buddies that have lived our life at the edge of the Main Street. So come join us where things are a little... odd. This is the... of yours will be reduced to a burned out cinder. Hi guys, welcome to Oddcast, movies, music and gaming and here with me today is Dreadful Danji. Hello. Hey, here I am. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, today we are going to be doing a hit and a shit, another one of uh, our specials. And today we're going to be talking about one of what used to be our favourite bands, uh, Foo Fighters. Give us a little brief synopsis of your relationship with Dave and Foo Fighters. This is going to be kind of exhaustive and exhausting. Mm. This is going to be, this is like seeing a counsellor, yeah. relationship counsellor. Um. Yeah. Well, synopsis, remember. <laughs> the, back of a, the back of a film back of a- <laughs> cover. Okay, right. So obviously we loved Nirvana mm. and... I loved Foo Fighters. Mm. I was a massive, obsessive Foo Fighters fan um, from 95, really, through to... My peak was probably like 99, 2000. um, And then basically started. it started waning. And really, 2002, one by one, Mm. I thought it was dreadful. And that pretty much killed my interest in Foo Fighters stone cold dead yeah um the only engagement i had with them after that was i went to a f- concert in 2005 um but i'll tell you a bit more about that later um and honestly mm-hmm. after one by one i have not listened to a foo fighters album i'm kind of always vaguely aware of what they're up to because i hear a song here and there and i always mm-hmm. think it sounds dreadful um and i still kind of you know see what dave grohl's up to I think um, I think he's a good guy. I do think he's a good guy. I think um, it's one of those cases, though, where it's just too much um, of too much of his, you know, pet projects and vanity projects really start yeah. to become grating and galling. Um, 
you know, when we got into him, he was he was a, a cool kind of like kind of shy, you know, he'd come out from behind the drum kit and Yeah, he's a bit geeky, and that's what I quite liked. Yeah. Him. It was a little bit of like, you know, underdog fighting spirit, and you mm. wanted to support him. And he had these cool, crunchy little guitar weird pop rock songs. Yeah. And over time he seemed to buy into the idea of Dave Grohl, the rock star, mm-hmm. and tried to craft these more, I suppose, in his mind, more ambitious songs. Um, but he just doesn't have the songwriting chops to support that. So I think that songwriting became more bloated, yeah, uh, more reflective as well of his, probably like a lot of guys, they go back to what they liked when they were a kid. So it's become way more kind of steeped in like 70s mainstream rock sound. Mm-hmm. Big, overblown, arena rock kind of statements. Um, always lame lyrics, but at least they were kind of cute and weird in the early days. Yeah. And then they just became awful. Um, and just, yeah, basically with money and power, um, I think he has bought into the idea of Dave Grohl, the auteur. So he's just like, well, you know, I don't blame him. If I had the ability to basically do any project I wanted on, on my whim, I would probably go, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna make a film. I'm going to mm. do a one-man just drums album. I'm going to write my novel. And, um, but, you know, it's all bad. And, yeah, it's, uh, yeah he's got more money and, and power probably than... Uh, than talent, unfortunately. Mm. And he should really just stick to what he's good at. Uh, yeah. But I still love you, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, like, for me, very similar. So, yeah, I think you... I think you actually turned me on to Food Fight's first album. I think you had it and I didn't. And then for a while, and I might have borrowed it or taped it off you back in the days of tape, something like that. I definitely bought a copy, but I don't think I immediately started off buying a copy if that makes sense um but i always found and this is it like there was a certain aesthetic to it which is very hard to describe to anyone who basically wasn't living through it which was as you said there was something a bit nerdy underdogish about it he was um he was just this like skinny lanky like kid and i'm talking about like you know the original like literally 95 dave Grohl. yeah um and what I really liked about the music is that it had it, as you said, it was very quirky, but it had its own sound. Um, yeah. For sure. Um, and it felt very, like, kind of weirdly, like, personal. It sounded like the music he wanted to make. And there was just something a little bit strange about it. And that's why when you look at the first Foo Fighters album, um, it's a real eclectic mix of stuff. And what what I enjoyed kind of going back as well is that you've got your like all out rock songs, like this is a cool maybe and like, you know, I'll stick around yeah, or whatever. And you've got like fucking great drumming, obviously, because it's Dave. Yeah. But then you've got things like, um, uh, what was it, Big Me? Um, yeah. And uh, um, is it Ecstatic? I can't remember. Yeah, Ecstatic. Yeah. Low-key like, low kind of vibe. Yeah, and that's a bit like, it's all a bit floaty. It's got these kind of weird guitar sounds. And it doesn't feel like a stadium rock thing. It feels, it feels different. It feels more what was kind of coming out of that um, post Nirvana like time, but it felt very different yeah. from everything else because it still didn't. It wasn't really grungy anymore, and it wasn't that kind of like early nineties. I don't want to say grunge, but like rock, alternative radio yeah, rock. Exactly. It wasn't that. This was like weird melody, weird guitar hooks, like. And it was all a bit different. And I was like, this is really great. Like, it's really creative. It's really different. Then when um, Connor and the Shape came out, I mean, he was pretty vocal about the fact that it was like, this was like, okay, I've got money and I can make big rock songs. This is what I'm going to make. Yeah. Um, and this was kind of like as well, like, I want us to be a band. Um, yeah. Because, of course, that first album was just all him and yeah. recorded... Uh, at the laundry room, so with mm-hmm. with uh, Barrett Jones, mm-hmm. so it was still kind of an extension of like the demos he'd been doing with Barrett yeah. Jones um, yeah. up until that point. I think that's why like it's recorded basically as if it's a demo, 
but then it's been like mixed and mastered kind of nice yeah, um, sure. to make it sound better than a pocket watch, for example. Yeah. But now Colour and the Shape, we're going to like, yeah, we're a slick kind of rock band going to professional recording studios. Yeah, exactly. And I really, I still, for me, that first album stands out because as well, I feel like everything around it, it kind of lent into that whole like weird 50s. You've got the 50s sci-fi gun on top. Yeah. You've got like, um, I remember it was like, it wasn't like a, it was like a matte kind of cardboard cover. Yeah. I remember rightly. Yeah. Like recycled paper. Exactly. And it felt like this old school sci-fi thing and the songs are a bit quirky and it was Dave and, yeah. was, and the X-Files was big, you know, bear in mind the Foo Fighters didn't X-Files, a song for the X-Files album, which we've uh, discussed on a yeah. podcast. Um, Roswell was, Records. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, I liked that. And it's very apt at that time. Color of Shape came out. I still really liked it. And I, I liked it because oh, yeah. it felt like it was bigger rock songs, but they were still like a bit weird. Um, yeah. I was like, it's just got more power. Um, you've got a couple of ballads in there. And as much as like, you know, and what I also find weird is that people still think of Everlong as like their best song. And I would probably say it is their best song, but I don't think, I think my reasons are a bit different from everyone else's, if that makes sense. Because when I hear Everlong, I'm hearing it as like, Dave has found the sound that he's looking for kind of thing, because it's a bit, it's a bit quirky. It's a bit like, um it's very like got a melancholy it's very personal to him as well um and it's still got this big huge chorus it's got fucking great drumming and all this stuff different guitar bits are kind of going on it's interesting you know and you had the music video with michelle gondry i believe directed it brilliant Um, that was so exciting when that came out do you remember yeah Yeah. and that's partly why it got so much fucking airplay in the first place it's because of the amazing video and people, you know, you have to bear in mind, like, M- again, this is when, like, MTV was the only place you could watch stuff like that. And Foo Fighters, like, it wasn't, we were now coming into, like, pop, basically. Like, the kind of Nirvana thing and all this stuff wasn't, you know, it was, it, I mean, like, pop was obviously always around. But for something like Foo Fighters, it was like, yeah, okay, you know, that's quite a big deal for them to be on MTV because it's, it's a big rock song. It's on MTV 2 all the time, but it was actually... Coming into interview as well. Anyway, so I felt like that was their like big song. I don't think they've ever got any better than that. I do remember um, you liking There Is Nothing Left To Lose and me yeah. not. Uh, yeah. And I remember that I was just like, I don't mind it. Like, like when I look through the track list, I'm like, there's songs here which feel, but this was when they started going into like, uh, like the kind of comedy zone like they'd already kind of flirted with it a bit and some stuff but like all their musicals were pretty much like we're just fun and we're just in whatever and it's goofy and i quite enjoyed that which makes it even weirder as you said because then he buys into like the whole like i'm a i'm a rock star kind of thing and i think yeah. like because after this was like um queens of stone age i think or maybe they had um or maybe one by one. I think one by one was after Queens of Stone Age, right? I don't know. They both came out around the same time because I remember being at Reading that summer and um, both bands had like big posters around the whole site like touting that stuff was coming. Right, right, right. Um, And it's funny, they kind of tied together in my mind because both of those albums were kind of what killed my interest in both bands. Right. Um, And like I said, I had this then... Um, like return 2005 where some of, some of my mates bought tickets to go to this uh, outdoor concert um, and it was Foo Fighters and Queens of the Stone Age mm. um, with Iggy Pop and Juliette Lewis Cool. and I was like oh right someone had like dropped out and they're like we've got a ticket you can have it free if you want to come along so I was like well I won't be churlish and um, I just remember standing there in this field with like all these people who probably weren't really music fans. They're just like meatheads going for a day out in the sun. And um, just feeling really sad actually watching both of these bands doing like really lame kind of versions of songs that I did like from a few years before, but mostly really bad new material. All these like big crowd sing alongs and. Mm. It was just ghastly. But yeah, that, that 2002, whatever, I don't know what happened. 
Josh and Dave, but they just seem to like I mean, they got flip. popular. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw um I saw a few fights when they played Glastonbury um last. That was the last time I saw them. And the first time I'd seen them in a while, I think we went to see them. We must have gone to see them a couple of times, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I'd seen them quite a few times. Yeah, I definitely, well, I definitely would have. But um, people were like, how can you not remember? It's like, I don't know. There was a period where like, I felt like we were going to a gig every week, um, as in we, not just together, but like well, separately as well. Yeah. Well, we like, definitely saw them. You and I saw them in 2000. Right. At the Stratford Rex with Queens of the Stone Age supporting. Did we? God, that must have been a good gig. <laughs> yeah. It was really, I I really remember Foo Fighters, um, Dave Grohl strummed a little bit of the opening chords of the Pocket Watch song, Hell's Garden, and I went uh, absolutely apeshit. And I looked around and no one was like, yeah, it was knew what was going on. <laughs> well, we should talk about Pocket Watch a little bit, because not many people talk about it. And I should say that I actually made money off of Pocket Watch because... Oh, um, I was selling bootlegs on eBay basically for um, a while and pocket watch. No one, you couldn't really get hold of properly. Um, and I had it and I was selling them and some like just a CDR was selling for like 30 quid or something. Ridiculous. No way. Yeah. Because That's I, mad. And it was, I think obviously keep in mind that it was like before file sharing. It was at the, it was like file sharing was on the up. So yeah. it wasn't, um, but this was at a time when it was like, you could only download a file when you do remember it used to take ages and you sometimes you wouldn't necessarily get like a whole bit from someone. It was just if someone was online at that peer -to -peer time. Peer-to-peer sharing. Exactly. If someone was yeah. online at that time, you maybe had it. So I had them all and it's just very hard to get hold of. Anyway, but um, Pocket Watch was the demo that Dave basically did um, that preceded the Foo Fighters album. Um, yeah. And it is, and we talk about lo-fi and all this stuff. It is very lo-fi. And there's some really cracking pieces on there that I listened to for this, actually, and I haven't listened to, God, Jesus, like over a decade, well, it might even be the full 20 years, I've no idea, but it's been a while since I've listened to any of those. Um, and I forgot, actually, how how good they are. And I'm like, this is like Foo Fighters to me. Like, Absolutely. And when I hear, like, as you said, like the big fucking rock songs and Dave being a rock star wearing all black and his hair. And like, yeah, when I saw him at Glastonbury, like they were good, they were good like, but as a, like a headline thing. But I was watching it going like, this isn't a few fighters I really fell in love with to begin with. This isn't like my Dave. And I know like people go, oh, whatever. But it's like, yeah. you know, like Dave was like this, as I said, like this kind of young, geeky, like, here's a song, I don't know, kind of thing. Yeah. And being like, you know, fuck you, I'm going to fucking, I'm da -da -da -da, whatever, big stances. Now I'm going to do BGs or whatever the fuck I'm doing. And it was like, yeah, it wasn't ever really like that. Um, but yeah, and that's just weird that he's become like one of the biggest bands and and all this stuff. And you look way back at the beginning of Foo Fighters, these lovely little, nice little um, quirky little songs. Yeah, to so feel like, like they've just come together really that? quickly. Yeah. So it's much more interesting. Um, but Pocket Watch, um, yeah, it was recorded at the laundry room with Barrett Jones, just like the first album. So to me, it sounds almost like a kind of, you know, demo-ish. Yeah, I mean, it's literally, yeah. Demo. If it had been like mixed and mastered properly, it would sound almost exactly like that first album. And there's a few um, common, or there's at least one common song there. Yeah. But um, I think he did it, I think he recorded it 1990, around that period. I think, I think it uh, it. I think it came out ninety two. Okay, I think he was like working on it there well, on some it. tiny little label called Simple Machines, right? Under under the pseudonym Late, and um, I remember Sam. I had this like book, Nirvana book, and this would have been about nineteen ninety seven. Right. And there was an article in there. It was like a collection of articles from other magazines and journals and things. And they were talking about it, and they they printed this is the address that you can send $5 to and order a copy. And in 1997, I just thought, well, that's not going to work. Yeah. And $5 was a lot of money to me in 1997. Huh. So, but now I kind of think, God damn it, I wish I'd just tried it because yeah. I've looked around online and some people were saying like quite late, like 95, 96, still doing it. that they were still able to get a copy. Fuck. 
So um, that would have been worth just a punt, really. Just put yeah. $5 in an envelope and send it and see what happens. Yeah, it'd be worth a bit now. Or you could buy them off my CDR for the same price. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's up to you. Cool. So, Dan, um, t- okay, I'm going to, I'll start with my hit. Um, Good. And my hit, I think you'll find, and this was a tough one to pick, um, but I'm going to choose Winnebago. Dan, what do you reckon? Uh, this is my hit as well, so <laughs> I'm going to have to pick another one. Um, I absolutely love this song. Yeah. I'm surprised you picked it, actually. I didn't well, know you, uh, you you loved it quite as much. Yeah, I've, I wanted something... It's definitely going to be early Foo Fighters, for sure. Um, I did kind of look back on Colour and the Shape stuff and all the B-sides, and I was like, nah. And then, yeah, went through... Basically, a lot of the songs on that first album were great. And to be honest, I was really close to just going, this is a call. I know it's so lame and it's typical me to pick, like, the first track from the first album. But I still think that is probably my um, only Foo Fighters song that I listen to on the reg, put it that way. Um, Because I love the drumming, I love the different parts to it. But the thing is, Winnebago is, like, the secret gem because it's quite similar to This Is A Call. Um, but it for me, it's it's kind of got that speed, it's got that energy, it's got that same sound. I really like it. And also I just like that like ending bit that and all that stuff. And I remember as a kid just thinking, oh God, that's it's just great. It's like so simple, but it's just um I'm really into it. Um and it's just a really fun, silly track from that time that um it's a great B-side, and I don't think many people would have probably heard. I don't think it should have been a B-side. I still think, I mean, it's a head-scratcher. Mm. To me, it should have definitely been on the album, maybe even like the opening track. I think it's so exciting, like you say, that ending as well. And it's all really in the arrangement and the power of the playing. Yeah. Like it winds up, winds up, and then you've got that incredible drumming. It's so cool. Mm. Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Actually, when they first got uh, the deal with Capital, mm. one of the first things Capital released was a, a promo 12-inch um, of Exhausted yeah. uh, with, with Winnebago on the B-side. Oh, really? Right. So that was just to sort of like hype the band before they even started promoting like the album or anything. Mm. So it's cool that, well, you know, somebody uh, picked it as a, as a good song to like push the band with. Um, but it's on Pocket Watch as, as well, of course. That's right, yeah. That's why um, I thought I'd um, open up with it, thinking it's a good segue. Yeah, it says an early version, but this the the version you should listen to. As much as I like the Pocket Watch version, is like the proper um, produced. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, it's much more powerful. Yeah, that is the one you want. It's like a proper muscular kind of song. They used to like start their um, gigs with this, like ninety five, ninety six. It was the, mm. the set opener. Um, there's a cool version. They did it for one of the radio shows that they. Did, I think 95, 96, I can't remember. They did it as a, as a medley with Watershed, which is okay. pretty cool. Yeah, Watershed is like another, those that know, like rocky, fast kind of, it's their territorial pissings, I guess, on that first album. Really. Yeah. Um, yeah, nice. Um, well, Dan, if we can't have that one as your hit, did you have any uh, backups? Yeah, I'm going to um, fast forward to 1998 okay. with the song... Good. A320.
so that was a song. I don't know how to actually pronounce it or say it, but I guess A A three twenty, A three two zero, A three two zero, whatever. I think yeah. it's the name of like an aeroplane. Um, and also the uh, Basing Stoke too. No, I'm joking. <laughs> what do you think of it? Um, yeah, I've definitely heard it before. I don't know from where. I imagine from you. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I quite like. It's funny because listening to it, like I forget, like when Dave sings like softly when he's like this, I like it basically. Um, that's why, like we were talking about not too long ago, like, was it um, walking after you? It's like I know you like whatever, but I actually do genuinely like that song. And I think part of it is because of he sings like really gently and it feels yeah more personal. And you've kind of got that here. Yeah, like, now he's gone into that. that anymore. Like, yeah, it's that like big rock roar, kind of cheesy, right? Yeah, just constant. Um, but this is quite nice. Um, yeah, and you've got that kind of like big rocking bit um, in the second half or towards the end, um, which is nice. But yeah, it's quite... Uh, I'm surprised you picked it, to be honest, because it is um, not jangly, but it is fairly ballardy, which I wouldn't really expect you to. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose I suppose I want to highlight a bit of a sort of like unknown gem, I suppose. Um I really loved this at the time when it came out. So this was on the uh soundtrack to the Godzilla film that came out in nineteen ninety eight. Right. Yeah, that had a few like rocking yeah, tracks, if I remember right. Rage Against the Machine were on it. Mm. Um, Jamiroquai had the song Deeper Underground. Yeah, that which was, was a big hit. Very, very uh, yes. Big hit single. Good video as well, if I remember rightly. So um, this was the first song that they basically released after uh, The Colour and the Shape when I was probably like at the height of my fandom. So it was really exciting. There's like a new Foo Fighters song. And I believe this is the only song that features Franz Stahl when he was okay. in the band briefly because um, he left basically around the time of the recording of uh, There Is Nothing Left to Lose. So he didn't make it onto any of those songs. And I really thought that, wow, this is going to point the direction basically for that album. These, like, maybe sort of like bigger, um, more arranged kind of songs. Um, but obviously, then there is nothing left to lose. It was actually quite a sort of like bland, a quieter kind of album. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I don't think they've really done anything like this quite since. I suppose looking back, I can see the beginning maybe of some of these like rock excess kind of. Uh, the ambition. Um, but I think it works here because it's not all just like big, stodgy, bloated. You've got like the cool string part at the beginning. Like you say, there's the soft, gentle ballad part. Mm. Then the guitar solo that's quite, you know, it's actually quite good. It's like, I suppose you could say, you know, later on it became, that's the genesis of like the wanky nonsense stuff. But here I think it sounds good. And then the the big bit is kind of cool and crunchy still. Mm. Um, so I think this like captures them at a moment in time, maybe at a bit of a crossroads. But um, yeah, yeah and, and then I always expected to see them when they started playing again back on tour in 99. I saw them quite a few times in 99, 2000. Mm. I was always like, are they going to bloody play it? No, no. <laughs> they did. I think eventually... They must have played it because I saw it on their list of songs that they've played. So I'd okay. love to actually hear a live version of this. Yeah. It's also they wouldn't have been able to do all the string parts. So I wonder how they get away with it. But um, yeah, I just think it deserves a bit more, uh, a bit more respect in their uh, catalogue. That one. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, and I know you talked about there's nothing left to lose, but so I think for me when I listen to like Learn to Fly and Generator or whatever, um. That like is like the kind of pinnacle of our formative years, if that makes sense. Like we were fifteen, sixteen. Generator. Yeah, we'd be about fifteen, no. sixteen, weren't we? Like, 16, sixteen, seventeen. Seventeen. Oh, fucking hell, God. Pathetic. All right, yeah, sixteen, seventeen. <laughs> God, I was so far from the, from the truth, wasn't I? Um, but it's like that was like you know, it was like we were young. It was on MTV like all the time again. It was a bit silly. Everything was quite like fun, and you think about like, all the summer stuff, and um, yeah. So I mean, like with there's nothing left to lose in those songs. When I do hear them, it does. There is like a kind of like warm nostalgia with it, but I just don't like the songs. 
Um, yeah, it's a funny album, that. Like, I really, like, Learn to Fly was pretty insipid because that, that would have been the first song I would have heard, I suppose, after this. Yeah. So I was kind of like thinking, oh, this is going to be the direction. And then yeah. Learn to Fly, it was just like, it was like a step backwards. It's really bland. Yeah. Well, I don't even, I don't, to be honest, like, as well, like, I was saying about the goofiness and all this stuff. Like, I don't really even mind that. Like, when we think about Nirvana, like, Kurt was pretty goofy. Um, he took himself, like, very seriously, like, a lot of the time. But also, he, liked the goofy stuff and whatever. So I can imagine. But it's just like, like Dave just went, like, full-blown. Yeah. With some of this. Well, then, because then after that, it's like the breakout video where he basically becomes Jim Carrey. Yeah, it's true. Because yeah. it's the song from me, myself and Irene. That's right, yeah. And it's just all this, like, slapstick silly stuff and i really don't like that song at all no, i mean this that was, felt really like a big step backwards yeah i mean this was that's when it was coming into like um the final throws of like you know the music video basically like people be like no it still happens now but like when it was like people paid like close attention like you know your music video mattered and if you could do something yeah. funny or like a little short film ish thing or like something memorable yeah. Um, it really made a difference because then people weren't just going to, they didn't give a fuck about the song. They wanted to see that video. Anyway, boring. So, um, and yeah, the thing to do is I always think like, because the cover is the fucking, I remember, I think we said before the album came out, like it was in Kerrang or whatever, like the fact he had the FF tattooed on the back of his neck. And I remember at the yeah. time thinking, so shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do it? And then the fact it's the album cover for his next, I was just like, that, spoke volumes basically i think of the time where it's like uh, yeah here's a photo of how much i love myself <laughs> <laughs> it's such a lame cover and it's I such a lame it. title i remember it was announced as nothing left to lose mm. and um i've got a, like a patch a tour pass which was probably printed around that time when and it says nothing left to lose but and then it got changed to there is nothing left to lose. I know that seems like a small pedantic thing, but nothing left to lose feels a little bit more like vital to the point. Mm. It's like a bit of a cool statement. Maybe it sounds a bit edgy. There is nothing left to lose. I, I just don't get it. It's just like, it's let's try and make, let's just dampen everything down. And this is like this white and grey cover, back of a man's neck. And there was like moving away from um, that cool, like you said, like that cool aesthetic and the imagery of the... 95, 96. Mm. And then even like the current shape, it's like, well, it still feels a bit sci-fi-ish because yeah. of balls and everything, but it's but it's like becoming a lot more slick. And it's like, now it's just becoming really tame and yeah. it feels like... Big difference. You can see in the how cover. can we make inoffensive rock and package it inoffensively for the most people? Yeah, just, I don't know, <laughs> it's really, I don't know, it's just so weird. I think it's came from Nirvana, basically. But yeah, I think it feels like it's on that... It's, uh, unnecessarily verbose there is nothing left to lose but also i think it, it's very um uh, indicative of the kind of um photography wank that was basically you <laughs> see like on a gallery wall and the fact it's got there is nothing left to lose if it's pretentious basically uh, yeah it feels pompous that. yeah um and that's why and you think about kind of in the shape as you said Bold, it's got some weird balls in it, big red letters, just Foo Fighters on it. Doesn't have the colour and shape, it's not the not I don't if I'm right, it's not actually got the title of the album on it. Um maybe it had it on the underneath. I think it's I was gonna say, tray. I think it's in the exactly. So you yeah. see it through the tray That's down right, the yeah. sort of left hand side. It's fine, which is a bit difficult to explain to someone, maybe. But, it's not on um, the LP cover though. Right, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. Um yeah. So anyway, let's go on to my shit, Dan. Well, I'm guessing it's from this album, right? No, it's not. Oh, okay. Um, I took, there was a lot to choose from, put it that way. And as I was listening to it, I was like, I can't listen to all this, to be honest. So I chose something that I had heard recently on the off chance that it might be any good, and I hated it. And it's the title of their last album, and I'm not talking about the DGs. Um, <laughs> it is the song... Medicine at into the bone into it. Nothing else will do. I could hear you sing it. It doesn't blue. Was it your graffiti? Did you write your name? On the day I see that. I can't explain. I need medicine to be the night. 
didn't mind that. Um, okay. <laughs> Let's break it down. Let's break it down. Um, it sounded initially like a very kind of like 80s, like, a, you know, a conscious attempt to do some sort of like 80s kind of sound. And I quite liked... <sighs> I can't, I'm not going to like, uh, you know, rag on the band and Dave for wanting to do something that doesn't sound like what he wanted to do when he was, you know, 19 years old. So my yeah. problem with them is that they became shit, frankly. Um, but at least this then, it's not kind of as boring as some of that stuff that turned me off in the early noughties, mm. which really felt like, yeah, he's just like trying to do this like big sort of, over-the-top rocks, you know, arena rock type of stuff. Um, yeah, I quite liked that little snaky kind of sound, but the the, the choruses were really kind of like, well, quite bland and boring. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, it was, it was okay. I mean, that's not really what I want to hear. It's not really what I want to hear from them, but um, it was okay. Well, Dan, I think you're insane. So I don't mind that whole like <laughs> yeah. when I first yeah. heard that, I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. Then I was like, why is he trying to sing like David Bowie? But okay, fine. And then when it was like the ooh, like the backing singers and <laughs> the backing singers were bad. Midnight trying to do blues <laughs> solos. I was like, oh, I was like, fucking hell, I was like, <laughs> could be convulsed. I was like, oh my god. And I've been like, I think we both have been saying for a while, like fucking dad rock it's been dad rock for fucking ages and yeah. i was like this is something where like in a shit movie when someone's gone to like a shit gig in the middle of nowhere and it's like they need to play like i don't know just put some fucking rock band like play, some, play something play something it's some old rock band medicine at me and i'm just like that's what it is there's nothing to it it's just completely nothing and when you start with that, doo -doo 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 -doo, I was thinking, oh man, it'd be cool if it went into some like fucking friendly fire stuff or something like that. Like make it a bit like dancey. She said a bit eighties or something. Nope. Gonna instead do some like, what? I don't even know what the fuck it is. Like some weird country bluesy, rocky, but it's pure dad rock. This is something yeah. which like, you can, you can see like a 50 year old fucking, I don't know, like suit, like thinking he's some fucking rocker going along. It's like, yeah, I love Foo Fighters. Yeah, if you had medicine, <laughs> if you had medicine at midnight, fucking great, fucking rocking. Oh man, it's like that's not. Well, that's what right. I see on Instagram. People like all the posts about this album. Oh, so people going, yeah. it's nothing. It's got nothing to say. It's got nothing to say. There's oh. literally nothing. He's literally just dialing it in. Like there is nothing. But and then why wouldn't you? There's nothing there. And yeah. I know we've had this conversation many times before, but it's like there's nothing that he's not inspired clearly by anything. It's just like, yeah. oh, let's just do another album, like whatever. Uh, I don't know. We did a couple of BG covers. That's fun. Let's release a whole album of fucking BG. We call ourselves the DJs because it's my initials. Okay, cool. Um, I, uh, it's just like, why don't you sit down and think, you know, and I know it's like, oh, but he has like, <clears throat> whatever, like, um, that's say where Eagles Dare, which is a misfit song, which I don't mean. Um, Eagles of Crooked uh, Vultures or whatever. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and... Uh, well, I say it's like project hopping, isn't it? To like, oh, what could I do next? But even when he does those things, it's like, they're shit. It's not like... What? It's like, not even... like He did that thing with Motorhead, right? Uh, Lemmy, specifically. He had a whole album where he yeah. did like a metal album, whatever. And I remember listening to that going like... Oh, Probot. Yeah, Probot, that's it. And being like, okay. Right. I don't know. Well, like, this is it. Nothing, it's something uh, in him. And I think you think of like early Dave, like what we've been saying quirky songs it's little hooks it's things that he's either thought about for a long time or he's been playing with or he's like i don't know i like wanna and now it's just like oh, i can't not i can't do anything else now because this is what people are expecting they want the next foo fighters records i'm writing foo fighters records that are how the audience perceive foo fighters but i think he like you just say i think he's got it in him to really do anything like exciting or original because he's not that kind of guy you know he's not a as much as I like that early stuff and it hits the spot it's not coming from a place within him of great like artistry yeah but like, he's not conveying raw emotion 
through like that first album. Mm. I don't think, you know, he's not an artist like, and I, this is an unfair comparison, but he's not an artist like Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Um, well, so, in yeah, same, he, not in the same way. Like, yeah, as you said, it's not fair to compare, but he's not like, he's not that kind of guy. Fucking thing. Um, and to be honest, like, I don't know, this is going to sound, I don't know, again, this is going to sound dicky, but there was like, there's a, in Kurt, and I know we always talk about Kurt as if we're like, we were mates with him or whatever, but like, there was something like a bit dirty, evil, black, putrid, whatever, just part of like, what, made him fucking kill himself and all this stuff. Um, and Dave just has never really had that, all right? He's been part of Scream, he's been part of like the scene but it never feels like everyone's like the nicest guy in rock or whatever. Like it feels he had a pretty, if I remember right, like a fairly, you know, normal middle-class childhood or whatever and all this stuff, but you never get a sense of like, he's got issues or like, you know, like the, 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 the artist, the tortured artist kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need that. You can still do good no, music, but- which Dave does, but it's like, it's a different kind of thing. I think there isn't a deep vein that he's tapping into exactly, yeah. for his artistry. There isn't a something that he's compelled to get out there, maybe, other than his passion is the process of making music, yeah. which, again, is great and fine, and that works for so many other brilliant musicians. But, yeah, I think that's why then, quite quickly after those first two albums, he then moved on to this, you know, obviously one by one, he was quite up front at that, time like that got delayed and and he was burnt out and he couldn't write couldn't put the songs together Mm. i think that's why he kept like then project hopping i'll be i'll go and do this i'll go and do that now i'm going to do my metal project now i'm going to do my classic rock thing um and is that like yeah what what can i what can i make music about because i like making music rather than i've got something in me that i need to convey yeah Uh, he's just he's a great musician he's a great yeah. Like, yeah, technically great musician and i think also like kind of expanding what you said um first album was he's been vocal about the fact that he made that in a response to kurt's death um mm. and he felt like he needed to process that which he did yeah. and um so there was that color and the shape he was going through a divorce at that time a messy one if i remember yeah. rightly as well and a lot of that's got to do with it. And then, funny enough, <laughs> those are the two best albums. There's nothing else that happened, like, you know, what happened after it? Like, yeah. You know, nothing. So, um, yeah, I think there's something in that. Anyway. Um, let's listen to another shit song. Yeah, let's listen to a shit. Um, I've spoken about this album quite a bit, so let's go with something from One by One. This is Overdrive. really one yeah that was way too long like should have been half the fucking four and a half minutes Definitely. insane absolutely <laughs> insane for a song like that crazy three minutes max that song should have been yeah so nothing as well like um i guess like there's part of me which has made my peace with this kind of song if you know because yeah. I mean? it's just like yeah this is Foo fighters from 2002 like this is the kind of stuff they were doing. It's the guitar sound. It's all that stuff that I'm like, yeah, okay. Like it happened. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't really think anything of it. Um, it's not good. I wouldn't ever listen to it. Um, and, you know, like same as like, yeah, times like these and all this stuff. It's that, you know, God, I mean, let's not even get started about that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I can see why shit. I think there's pro- there must be worse songs out there. But um by the band yeah but 
Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'd hope so. Yeah. Not just, not just generally, but it is like, um, I can see it's, I can see why it's, it would bother you so much, especially that little like, horrible. It's like, oh, it's such a, like. It's cloying. Yeah. But it's also like, that was the kind of hooks and vocal melodies that was, Dave was doing at that point in time, if that makes sense in a weird way. Um, it felt like an I hate songs that where the vocal melody just mirrors what the guitar's doing, which is what happens here. And the chorus is exactly the same as the verse. Yeah. So it just goes and goes and goes, goes and goes and goes, and then you get a little uh, break in the middle. Yeah. And then you're like, where's it going to go now for the next two and a half minutes? And then it just repeats the same two and a half minutes as the beginning of the song. It also, yeah. It's just... So this to me, I've picked this because this is emblematic of the uh, poor songwriting around this period. Yeah, you're right. Like this album was was a trouble, was a problem to make apparently. And I think they they threw away what they'd done and like redid it and, and then redid it quickly. And I just think it's sad that so this is 2002, three years after There Is Nothing Left to Lose. They had three years to write 12 songs. It's Actually, this, song's only, this album's got 11 songs. Mm-hmm. And there's maybe two or three that are decent. And the rest of it is some of the most uninspired, boring, bland shit that I've heard from like a big, successful rock band. Mm-hmm. And it was just so crushingly disappointing at the time. I was still a fan, 2002. I was starting to wane a bit. I was really put off by The One. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that standalone song that came out? I was like, what's this? I'm like not the weird... one, the only one. Yeah. <laughs> I almost picked that. Slight, so, yeah, sort of like no, glam, bad. kind of like, almost like a queen kind of like ripple. I don't know. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And then it's like this, these like big bloated... I remember him again around like 2000, Dave went on a radio show and you'll have heard this. He took the piss out of Creed. Mm. You know, they had that song, Arms Wide Open. Right. He was doing his little like acoustic set and he does a version of that. With arms wide open. He does all that, completely taking the piss out of him. I was like, yes, Dave, go on. And it's like, here he is doing exactly that on these really boring songs trying to kind of like dredge up i suppose some kind of sense that there's something epic about them Mm. when they're just like there's just nothing and particularly overdrive is the start of a three song suite of shit that uh crowns this album overdrive followed by burn away and then come back can you imagine, outside of uh, the confines of U2, a less interesting <laughs> selection of song titles? It's, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's not, but, his, it's not his thing, really, is it? Like, let's be honest. It's, I don't know, mate. Like, They're all terrible songs, though, as well. Let me just get that straight. Oh, oh and the lyrics are nothing. Mm. Yeah, die. Well, he's got nothing to say. Now, what's he going to talk about? Fuck the system? Like, he's in it. It's quite funny. So, like, my stepdad like recorded something on Dave, um, and only what and I was watching it, and they went through like early Foo Fighters, and they were talking about that. And I thought like, that brings back some memories and whatever. And it was nice seeing like the um, Big Me music video and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I remember this. This is fun, and um, and yeah, and then he was he was basically like, and I was like, oh god, and, just, and then it started to get to this stuff, and I'm like, oh, I'm just not. So I'm not interested in this. And he's like, well, I thought you loved Foo Fighters. It's like, Barry, it was like 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, like, uh, I don't, I haven't listened to Foo Fighters album, yeah, in like, well, before this, and this is 2002. There's times like, um, Nothing Left to Lose is probably the last album I listened to in complete entirety. Wow. Yeah, think about that. What's that, 22 years or something? Um, yeah, man. And, uh, yeah, and he's like, I thought you said, <laughs> thought you really liked I thought you're a fan it's like no and then I was saying about how it's like god just like talking about like the live shows and all this and I was like 
how it's like he's like okay everybody we're all gonna after three we're gonna go da, 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 and all this okay everybody on the left do that and like making like the big showman thing and i'm just like i was like Barry, could you imagine Kurt Cobain doing that <laughs> like it just wouldn't never i was like that's why i like nirvana for a lot of reasons but also this was what they were fucking of kurt at least was against this whole weird like rock star persona kind of thing and just because like dave girl is not wearing like hasn't got like big frothy hair and makeup and spandex or whatever does not take away from the fact that he is the epitome of mainstream fucking like stadium rock um yeah and i was like and that's why it's like it's weird because it's like i was totally on board with all this stuff and now now look at him it's insane and there he goes um he was like yeah it's about you know playing life whatever and he was like yeah well you know he's, he's got to do it to survive i was like dave Grohl. <laughs> I was like, right, he could have stopped after, he could have stopped when oh, Kurt died and had enough oh, to live on to the end of his days. Yeah, but, that's what Chris done, right? Well, that's what Chris did, yeah, exactly. He's like, I don't know, is he anything else? Fuck it. It's like, yeah, I think Dave's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he could probably stop touring if he wanted to survive. Uh, survive. That's why he wrote this shitty song, Overdrive. He's like, didn't have two, two dimes to rub together. He's like, I've got to get another song out to be able to release my album. Yeah. Maybe I can just get this. I've only got one riff. Maybe if I play it for four and a half minutes, it'll pad out the album. Fuck off. I mean, like four and a half minutes as well. It's ridiculous. All right. Well, we, I think we've done enough like shitting away over Foo Fighters. That's it. We've done a shit in a hit, haven't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. It really was a It was a bit hate. shit heavy, wasn't it? Yeah. I feel we could have, we could have done a great just hit show on Foo Fighters. Yeah, that's, that's true. just not what we do. It's just not what we, it's do. Not what we do. What I also love is that for any fans out there who like Foo Fighters, they're like, oh, cool, Foo Fighters episode, great. And we've just fucking <laughs> shat on anything, unless you're like 40 plus. Um, <laughs> like us, we've shat on every single thing that you've probably loved. Uh, up brilliant. With. Uh, but it's your own fault. Um, go out and listen to Pocket Watch. You can see it. It's on YouTube and everywhere. Like, you know, check it out. Um, Oh, and, that's true that's true dave that's dave when he's like you know you know he's he's trying to find his voice and that's the more interesting stuff what can we do with dave sam what would you want dave to be doing in 2021 it's, it's impossible obviously now. you don't want him to do the dgs that's for sure no what could be Absolute better because again that's just like him wanking himself off he's like i can do this i have the power to do it so i'm gonna do it fuck it i don't give a shit and, yeah. and, you know, and there is an element where it's like, fair play to him, fair cop. If I'm going for yeah. it, if I want to enjoy the music of Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters, I don't think it's ever going to happen again. I can't, unless it's like, unless he does something like, I don't know, like go back to basics, like, and I don't even know what that would be. Like maybe do an equivalent of what like Josh used to do with like um, the desert sessions or something. I don't know, like go out somewhere by yourself or with like not the Foo Fighters people who like will give input and be like that's a bit shit let's try this or like you know maybe yeah. don't have him fucking driving everything and a bit of humility I reckon would go a long way in yeah. that sense I'd enjoy that or like if I I would be like I'd really enjoy if he did like a you know like um like a lo-fi thing or something it was like, okay, he's just got a, a tape. I don't know. I don't know. Just anything. Just that, that's not what he's doing now, basically. That humility thing as well. Obviously, he's got the tag of nice man in rock and people like, oh, he's still so humble and like uh, down to earth. But that's very much a persona oh, he's yeah. developed over 25 years. Yeah. It's sort of mock humility. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about um, how like, you know, the first drummer as well, like, no, William Goldsmith. Yeah, William Goldsmith. Like that is a very sour relationship. Um, yeah. And Dave has been quite vocal about the fact that he completely mishandled it. We've said before, like during the whole like, you know, Kurt leaving voice voice messages about how he's going to kill this reporter, and you said like Dave doing the same kind of thing as well. Yeah, did a few. Yeah. Um. And yeah, there's uh, Courtney is very vocal. Obviously, like can't really trust the word she says to, to be honest but um about the fact that it's like you know kurt's family um <laughs> starving or whatever and all this stuff 
and yet he's um, using Nirvana money to buy whatever, which he's quite welcome to because he's part of the deal, etc., and all this stuff. But um, yeah, she was uh, there was something about like you know people go she whoever has gone to Dave or like Dave constantly asking for like more money, more money, more money out of Nirvana, and she's like you know fuck you. I mean she had fuck all to do with it apart from the fact that she was married to him for like a year or whatever, not even long enough. Um, the socks that I'm wearing are longer than Kurt and Courtney's relationship. Um, I don't want to make out we think he's like a bad guy or a nasty guy. No, but I don't More I that wouldn't he... say like, yeah, the nicest guy in rock thing, the basically, ah, oh, shucks, kind of like, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm the kind of rock you and your mum can rock out to or whatever. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that has been, um, that has that probably that started off quite innocently enough i imagine and yeah. now it's grown into like well this is who i am this is who i am now yeah yeah I don't know it's I'm more and yeah and the problem with that is it's more the control mm. i think if he like you said a bit more humility and just release a bit more control you do get the sense that he's just got yes men all around him who are like yeah great dave that's that's brilliant love it um, yeah maybe just a bit of a a wake-up call every now and then, shake the tree. Yeah. But uh, I'm of the same opinion. I just don't think what he does is for you people like you and me anymore. I mean, I would say go back and, like, drum for Mets or something. They don't need it because obviously their drummer is better than fucking, I would say, is <laughs> potentially better than Dave anyway. Yeah. Um, but, like, find a fucking punk or someone that, a band that are looking for like a shit hot fucking drummer um, and go back to doing that. Just go, go back to a small fucking band, do some shitty pubs and stuff or whatever, playing like some hardcore drums or whatever. And But if he did do that, it would all be filmed and like a big documentary. It'd be like, hey, I'm Dave Grohl and we're going back to our roots. Oh yeah, it would be, and yeah. This, this is how uh, it should be. But there'll be like all these like cameras everywhere following around. Well, he did that with like he's got this series coming up where he's in a fucking van. He found like the van that he toured in or whatever, or a similar one, and he's going on the road or whatever. And that's what, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is why it's like, you know, I don't know, maybe to be honest, like maybe do something which is not to do with Foo Fighters, put in some money or like use your fucking in home studio to like nourish like these new exciting bands and artists that are like up and comers and help push them instead of doing another Foo Fight Stadium tour. Yeah, great. We want to see that. I don't know, do something uh, useful. Yeah, also uh, release Pocket Watch officially. Nah, don't. Leave it. I'd like to hear it properly. Nah. Like properly mixed and mastered, cleaned nah. up. Nah, nah, leave it as it is. Leave it as it is. I like it how it is. I want it to be that little moment in time. I don't want any fucking sheen or someone fucking around with it. Don't yeah. Need, don't need it. Just let it, let it be. It's a nice little reminder of the Dave back then. I don't want the Dave now touching it. Dave back then. Oh, no. Don't let him touch it. That's what I mean. Just let's leave it. All right. Well, I think that's enough for Food Fighters now, isn't it? Yeah. We'll come back to them at some point, though. Yeah. I've still got more. Shit's More belly aching to do. <laughs> right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to that. Sorry, it's such a god, so down on Dave. But um, yeah, we did used to love them. Just yeah, so, uh, we're damaged, damaged people. <laughs> what do you do, Dave? Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Cheers, bye. Thank you for listening to Oddcast Movies, Music and Gaming. If you want to get in touch with us or get a movie, album or game put on our list to discuss, then email us at oddcastoddballs at gmail.com or a newwinterpodcast at gmail.com. This is part of a New Winter Podcast Network, so head on over to anewwinter.net to check out our other shows. You can also follow us on Instagram at anewwinter, Twitter at anewwinter, and you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash anewwinter. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.